Some months ago, I was with my grandsons down at Disneyland, and we were riding the Autopia. And if you're familiar with that particular ride, it's like being on a freeway, and you're in a car, and you have the feeling that you're in total control of where you're going and um, in terms of where you're steering. Actually, underneath the car is a track, and that's controlling exactly wherever you travel. And that was sort of an analogy for me of what we are talking about this morning. I want us to think about control, or more specifically, who is in control of your life and mine. Oswald Chambers, commenting on the Apostle Paul, wrote, Paul was not given a message or a doctrine to proclaim. He was brought into a vivid, personal, overmastering relationship with Jesus Christ. He was absolutely Jesus Christ's. He saw nothing else. He lived for nothing else. What a legacy, what an epitaph to say about anyone. I want to ask you, to whom do you belong this morning? What or whom controls you? Your time, your emotions, your resources, your energy, your thought life. One continual struggle believers face in following Jesus, I know it's my struggle, and that is deciding who or what is going to be in control of our lives? Who, who or what's going to be the determining factor in the decisions we make, the goals we set? And I believe that the most important crossroads in our Christian experience happens the day we begin the journey of, because it is a journey of surrendering control of us to our Lord Jesus Christ. If you think about it, isn't it interesting that our culture tends to measure our worth by how many people we control or how many assets we control, while Jesus measures us by how many people we serve and how much we share and how much of us he controls? Well, we're going to think about that subject for a moment as we look at our text as it speaks to us on this issue of control. And the first truth is we're not in control but God is. James writes, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go into this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. We're not in control. God is. Think of all the plans we make for tomorrow, for ourselves and for those we love. We're, here in Silicon Valley, we're take-charge people. We work on the premise we're going to make things happen today so we can control what happens tomorrow. And our text reminds us that to believe that we are actually determining the course of our lives is really no better than riding the Autopia, thinking we're in control of the car when on, underneath there's a track guiding everything that happens. To think we're in control is a myth. As Christians, we're in the process of learning that only God is in control, and that's so logical, actually. God controls everything, weather, health, life, our possessions, our future, our achievements, our children. And because he's God, he refuses to be put into the position where many of us try to place him, and that is as an adjunct or a supplement or a partner. Because whenever we make God less than God, we're actually trying to control God, and he won't allow that. What's more, God has a way of leading us into circumstances that awaken us to the fact we're not in control. 
Maybe that's already happened to you. It's happened to me many times. You see, think about it. Our lives are a mist. We're fragile. We're vulnerable. How easily all of our plans tomorrow can be shattered in a moment by the lightning of a shadow on an x-ray. A child in trouble, a business failure, a relational disaster. Overnight, our control, our certainty can be transformed into a cry of the soul, Oh God, help me. I'm, I'm not in control. I need you. A friend, a, a real estate developer, a, a high control man by his own admission was recently diagnosed with a serious disease and he wrote me, times of crisis and pain can also be the greatest times of growth. There are times when we're constantly reminded we're not in control of our lives, that we must surrender to a personal God who loves us beyond human understanding. And when we do, we can find an unexplainable sense of deep joy and peace through his son, Jesus. In the valley of the shadow and brokenness, this man found peace by learning what we all should really know. We're not in control. Eugene Peterson makes a beautiful statement about this truth. Our desires to control God interfere with God's desire to control us. We don't do things for God. He does things through us. Control tends to make us full of ourselves rather than full of God. We make all these plans of tomorrow. We're, act, we're playing the role of God and we forget who we are. Fragile human beings. The less we seek to control God, the more He can control us. It boils down to this truth. Not being in control is the human situation. And, but, but you know, that fact is beautifully balanced for us as Christians in knowing we're not in control, but our loving heavenly father, who's all powerful, all knowing, all full of grace is in charge of our future, of our lives, of those we love. And that's why the Bible says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares about you. Cast is an interesting word. It really means surrender control, surrender control to God's control in the confidence that he cares infinitely about us and about those we love. You know, recognizing his power, his involvement in what happens to us frees us from this futile task of seeking to write the roadmap for the course of our own lives and the lives of those close to us. People don't like being around high control people. Nothing worse than having someone who you care about sit down and you know they have an agenda. And they're trying to get you to follow that agenda. It breaks relationships. One of the greatest mistakes a parent can make is to write a script for the lives of our children. You know, I confess in the name of love, if I could do any of my parenting over again, it would be to give God more control of my children and have a less tendency to write a script for their lives. I loved them so much and I knew exactly what was best for them, where they should go to school, what they should do for their um, ultimate vocation. And I should have learned, but I didn't. You know, I have adult children now and I'm still trying to control them. And I'm still trying to make decisions of what I think is best for them. The difference is they really resent a father doing anything more than loving them and undergirding them. They're, in, they're making their decisions and they resent me trying to interfere. And I'm, what's even worse, you know, as I, I'm recognizing this desire to control my children, I realize that's probably a character trait in, that I've, I try to control others. 
And I'm seeking God's grace in stopping to do that. It doesn't work. It's not right. In fact, it's a sin. The, I guess the truth I'm really learning is none of us control people. Only God controls people. And to find and discover that truth and apply it to our relationship sets us free and sets those we seek to control free. Because God loves us, because he's promised to care for us, how logical to cast our concerns, our desires to control, our love for our children, our love for our friends, our love for our colleagues, to cast that on God and say, God, it's your job to control. It's my job to love and support. And one way we can cast cares upon God, at least I've discovered, it's the only way that works for me, is to trade control for prayer. I think that's why God has had such a movement in my life toward prayer in these last few years. To pray for people, to pray for situations, for me as a pastor, to pray for you is a wonderful alternative than trying to control everything with all of the fret and fume that goes with that habit. A habit that ends only in exhaustion and futility and a lot of angry people. Prayer does work. The problem with high control people is we don't believe prayer is enough. And when we learn that prayer works, we can, be, 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 we can begin praying rather than controlling. And you know, that's our challenge. And maybe it's a wonderful challenge this Lenten season as a new step in our spiritual journey to start praying and stop controlling. A second truth, recognizing that God is in control gives us the treasure of inner peace. In Romans we read, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on that, what that nature desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. I know you share my experience that living the Christian life is really a struggle between one part of us that wants to run things, our sinful nature, versus the voice of Jesus that woos us to submit to his authority. Jesus offers what appears to be a paradox that the world out there will never understand. He wants to control us so he can set us free. Jesus really came here not to restrict us at all, but to give us the only life that's worth living, a life of freedom under his authority. Our sinful nature deceives us into believing, doing it my way, controlling everything, the course that I desire, is freedom. Jesus doesn't restrict life. He, enjoy, he sets us free so we can enjoy life, so we can find peace and get rid of all of the garbage that goes with being control freaks. And that's why Jesus is wounded when we reject his authority and we pursue our courses of self-destructive behavior. Control is self-destructive for ourselves and others. Oswald Chambers again writes, Whenever we're obstinate and self-willed and set upon our own ambitions, we're hurting Jesus. Every time we stand on our rights and insist that this is what we intend to do, we're persecuting Jesus. We're suggesting this morning spiritual maturity is basically this process of losing control, giving up our right to do what we want so God can empower us to do what he wants through us. 
That's what we mean by this process of getting rid of our sinful nature and putting on our spiritual nature. And folks, that's a lifetime journey. And every week we come here to worship, we're taking another step into the likeness of Jesus Christ, getting out of our sinful nature, putting on our likeness to him. And today we're learning one of the things it means to be like Jesus is to surrender control. And so I want to ask as we prepare for communion, because I believe God brought people here today with a control problem. Where are you allowing your sinful nature to control your behavior? Where are you playing the role of God, either in your own life or in the lives of those you care about? What are you trying to fix in your own strength? Who are you trying to remold in your own strength? And would you like to be set free and allow God to take over the job that you can't do anyway? Only God controls, remember. Well, I want to take, offer two steps here as we go to communion. Tell God, I want to change and I need the power of your Holy Spirit to conquer my tendency to control. I can't stop in my own strength. And then tell God, I want to trade my efforts to take charge and commit myself to pray for that person or that situation. I want to trade control for prayer, and then I'm gonna trust you for the outcome. One of the best decisions you and I can ever make is to do what Paul the Apostle did, surrender ourselves totally to the control of Jesus, and at that point we'll find peace, we'll find joy, we'll be set free. We just say, okay, Lord, you take over. Help yourself to my life, to my desires, my plans, any way you see fit, I'm yours. Maybe you're in and out of control time in your life right now, and you know what? That can be the very moment that opens the door to the only life worth living. Like my friend diagnosed with a serious illness. When you're out of control and you know it, that's the point you can really surrender. You recognize and let God be God, and that will change your life and the lives of those you're close to. You see, to surrender to God really isn't a bad thing. We're surrendering our control to one who loved you and me so much that he sent his son to die in your behalf. He's already proven his trustworthiness, his love. How much more do we need? This truth is expressed in that great hymn that's a paradox, and so much in our faith is a paradox. Make me a captive, Lord, and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword, and I shall conquer thee. As we go to communion, how appropriate that we make our prayer, the prayer Jesus uttered the very night before he died, when he said, not my will, Father, but thine be done. And maybe that's what he brought you here today, so you could pray that prayer and have a new beginning in your life. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we ask you to bless us as we approach communion. We ask your blessing on these elements that symbolize that Jesus in us can do something we can never do for ourselves. And today we're asking, oh Lord, through your spirit, help us to surrender control so that you'll own every part of us, even as you gave yourself totally to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Paul the Apostle 
said, I delivered unto you as of first importance what I also received, how the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, he broke it, and he said, this bread is my body broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink ye all of it. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he come. As we distribute the bread now, I would have you hold it and we'll eat it together, symbolizing that we're the family of Jesus Christ. <laughs> 